Okay, I am uh, excited to talk about grapes, but um, these are not just regular grapes, and I'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, for the sake of Audioverse, if anyone would like to have the PowerPoints that I am showing with this in the class, they should be available. If you scroll down, you should be able to find the PowerPoints um, or the PDF version in Audioverse. So. If you're listening on Audioverse, go ahead and, and download those. I'm going to start here. This would seem like a strange place to start a, uh, a seminar about grape growing, but this is the reality in much of the southeast. Um, I've seen a lot of grapes in Tennessee, and Throughout the southeast, I, I understand that it's a, there's a similar story. We have so much humidity and heat that a lot of grapes, Concord, um, definitely the, the table grapes you'd buy in the store, um, they, they simply won't grow, or if they do grow, um, they will frequently get a disease called, called black rot. And this is a picture of, of that disease. From what it looks like, I believe this is black rot. And um, this is what it'll do to, the, to those grapes um, in a lot of the southeast. There are exceptions sometimes, but as far as regular grapes grow, just, just the ones we, we would expect to plant, um, when you're in the southeast, they have a lot of struggles. Now, in California and in other dry climates, regular grapes are a different story. So what I'm talking about is it's especially applicable to the southeast because of the conditions we have. Um, and that's why, that's why I recommend muscadines. This is actually my mom. It's, it's a friend of ours, his vineyard. Um, these grapes were grown with no spray. And even in the humid, humid climate that, that we have there, um, these grapes are doing very well. So I just have some pictures here. This is a uh, green bronze variant of the muscadine. Same friend's vineyard. Got some more. I'm grateful to my brother. He was taking pictures this fall for me. Okay, what I would like to talk about is, is specifically what is a muscadine because um, to most people they would just say, you know, these are grapes. Um, and in a way, they are. In a way, muscadines are grapes. Um, and I want to look at some of the similarities. Um, they look similar. They look similar to grapes as far as the, the berries. Here are some muscadine, some muscadine vines. Uh, muscadine vine structure is very much like a grape. So if you didn't know... If you didn't know anything else, you would, you would expect that you see these vines, they're just regular grapevines, um, or I, sh I would say you would think they're just regular grapevines, and, and to an extent they are. Um, fruit appearance and use, they're very similar to a Concord. Um, they've got a, a thick skin like a Concord, um, and in trellising method, to a large extent you can train a muscadine vine just like you would any other grape. These are some more pictures from our friend's vineyard. But I would also like to talk about some of the differences. Some of the things that make um, 
Muscadine is different from a typical grape. Their cluster size is different. Muscadines are extremely productive, but they don't bear their fruit in clusters like a traditional grape. What you see in this, in this picture is more typical. The, the grapes will be scattered, scattered along the vine, um, instead of bearing them in clusters. Now, that doesn't mean they produce less. Muscadine vines can produce, um, they can produce 50 pounds or more of fruit per vine. So they produce a lot, especially if they're taken care of very well. They have a lot of potential. In fact, they have potential to overcrop in some cases. So it doesn't mean they produce less, but the way the fruit is distributed is different. And um, actually, the muscadine grape genetically is different. All other grapes have 38 chromosomes. All other grapes have 38 chromosomes. Muscadines actually have 40. So on a genetic, le on a genetic level, they are separate from, from other grapes. Um, they're in a separate, um, they're in the same genus, I believe it's subgenus. They're in a separate, um, genetically a separate category. And they are native, native to the United States. This map, um, you can see in the top there, the URL where I pulled that from. This map shows where, um, I believe this is where muscadines are distributed natively. So all those counties you see that are, have the light green are the counties where they have wild muscadines growing. Um, the states that you see in green are the states that have them. Um, but probably what you'd want to pay more attention to is the counties because, like, obviously Texas has a lot of different climates. But um, this general area, if you are in this area, you're going to be wanting to look at muscadines if you have any interest in growing grapes because this area is the area where regular grapes will really struggle because it's a humid area, hot area, and it also um, is the area where we're really blessed with muscadines. This area is where the muscadine grows, grows natively. Um, I have, oh, um, yeah, so this is the area where it grows natively. If you're in, in, if you're in this area, I would consider growing muscadines. Now, if you're north of this area, you may still be thinking, can I grow muscadines? Um, much north of this area, it's going to be a bit of a struggle. If it, get, if it gets below zero degrees, if it dips much below zero degrees, they will die. They're a little bit tender when it comes to cold weather. So this map gives you kind of an idea of whether or not you can be growing them successfully. Um, these, are, these are actually muscadines in their wild state. So this is what you can find in the wild. Um, this is near our property. Um, completely uncultivated grapes. And um, you can see they look pretty good. The ones on the right are immature. The ones on the left are, are getting ripe. Um, and they look beautiful. Actually, these wild varieties, are um, they don't taste nearly as good as they look because the skin on them is, is almost like leather, almost like genuine leather, really, really thick. Um, the cultivated ones have thick skin too, but often it's still fairly edible. The wild ones have extremely thick skin, even if they look pretty, at least in our area they do. So you really, if you're going to be growing them, you probably don't want to do the wild ones. It'd probably be better to get some cultivated ones. And thankfully they've developed beautiful, 
lines of cultivated muscadines. This is from Ison's Nursery. Um, that's where that's where I've purchased um, most of my vines and most of the ones I'm selling here, and I've sold at different conferences. And this is these are some of the different ones they've developed from the primarily from the wild ones. Um, the fruit is much better. Uh, they have a wide range of, of colors, primarily the, the green bronze ones and the dark colored ones. Um, and the size is greatly improved. Many of the muscadines have very, very large fruit, and they're fun to pick because you can fill a bucket really fast. Okay, now I also want to talk... Oh, I should mention, as they've improved this... Um, the fruit quality of these muscadines, to a large extent, they've retained the disease resistance. So even these cultivated ones still have a lot of the disease resistance that you find in the wild ones. Now, I'm not going to um, go into too much detail on this, but if you are interested in health, um, there is there's a lot you might want to look into as far as muscadines. There's been research done on their, on their health benefits. Um, this is just uh, the first part of an abstract one article I found on on muscadine health benefits, and here, hmm. oh, here we go. Here are some things that you might find interesting. I'm actually going to correct myself. I made one statement in the in the description of this class that I I need to clarify here, um, and. I probably, maybe I should have done a little more research before I made the statement, but it'll make sense once I, once I say this. Okay, blueberries and blackberries. When you're measuring antioxidant level of blueberries and blackberries, they use this TEAC measurement. I don't completely understand what it means, but it's how they measure antioxidants. And so blueberries and blackberries, they have a range of 8.11 to 3829 so we think of blueberries and blackberries as having a lot of antioxidants. So this just kind of gives us a reference point. Now, muscadine pulp, that's pretty low, 2.4. So it's less than blueberries or blackberries. But if you get to the, to the skins, it's a little better, 12.8. 12, 12 um, that would be like on a Concord grape, you have the, the thicker skin. The skin has more. This is where it really gets exciting and interesting. Compare the blueberry and blackberry antioxidant level to the antioxidants in muscadine seeds. 238 or 236.1. That's in the seeds. So it's 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 accurate to say that muscadines have a lot of antioxidants, but the caveat is that a lot of that is in the seeds. And we have a friend who grinds them up in smoothies. And uh, we used to laugh a little bit at her for doing that, but now we don't laugh so much because she's getting all those um, all those antioxidants. She freezes them. I don't know how that I I don't know if that affects antioxidants. Um, but in any case, there's a lot in the seeds. Um, I believe she freezes them. But in any case, that's just a little bit of interesting information, health-wise. Okay, so um. Some of the interesting things about muscadines, they have a, a very unique taste. Um, so these are some of the reasons why, why I pro promote them. I also have them for sale here, so I'm hoping to sell some, but these are some of the reasons I promote them. 
Um, the taste is very good. Now, I have to say that if you are thinking table grape when you have a muscadine, um, you're going to be a little surprised. You kind of have to think of it as a new fruit. You're sampling a new fruit. If you think of it from that way, I think you'll be really pleased, especially when you realize that these can grow without any sprays. Um, all the pictures I've shown you so far, there have been no sprays on those muscadines, even in the southeast. So I think you're going to be really pleased if you think of them as a new fruit. If you come at it from the perspective of a regular grape, you're going to think, this doesn't taste quite like a grape. But um, in any case, um, I don't have a citation for this, but I think it's very arguable that they are the most disease-resistant grape available of all grapes. I think it's very arguable. I don't know of any that are more disease-resistant that I have personal experience with. They're not fussy about soil for the most part. Um, they grow wild here, and in general, um, they're going to be one of the least fussy plants that you can grow um, as far as soil. Um, obviously, anything you do to your soil, they're going to benefit just like anything else. But whereas some trees, you might not get a crop if you don't do anything to the soil, um, these are, are much more well adapted and willing to tolerate um, beginners' um, attempts at working with the soil. Um, they're highly productive. Like I mentioned, they can, they can easily produce 50 pounds of fruit. Um, now, I would say that's with, with careful management. If you just throw them on a fence and, and uh, do them that way, you're probably not going to get this. But if you, if, you do, if you train them and grow them as a crop, they can produce a lot. So yes, just one of the best no-fuss additions to any orchard or vineyard, to any wild orchard or vineyard. Okay, choosing your site. Muscadines are pretty adaptive when it comes to site, but there are a few constraints. And one of the first ones I want to talk about is especially applicable here in Texas. Um, if you noticed on that map that I showed you where they grow natively, it was pretty much only East Texas. You saw them growing. And my guess as to why that is, is, is that they don't, muscadines don't do well with a high pH. And from what I understand, it's Eastern Texas where they have the lower pH, just like the Eastern U.S. So um, that's one thing that they just don't do well with a high, high pH. Now, um, in a lot of the Western states where I understand you would come across a high pH, um, there are probably other grapes that would grow well, but not muscadine. A pH of 6 to 7, um, 7.5 would probably be fine, but if you're, if you're looking at 8 um, or above, you're probably not going to do well with muscadines. Um, they need full sun. If you don't have full sun, they will probably grow, but really I think that you wouldn't want to put a whole lot of investment into them if you didn't have full sun. Deer protection. Um, from what I have observed, um, deer don't bother the leaves of muscadines too much. Um, now, if you just had one or two vines and the, and the deer were hungry, they might. But from what I've heard and talked to people and seen the experiences of different people, the main thing the deer um, go after is the fruit. So it's probably worthwhile if you don't have... Um, if you don't have a dog around or you're not going to grow them right next to your house, it's probably worthwhile to make sure you have a deer fence um, to keep the deer out. The friend who grows them commercially that I know of 
I think he just uses an electric fence. And I don't even know if he has it up all year. He may just have it up during the fruiting season, but um, you do have to do something in that, in that arena usually. And I put north slope at times. Um, if you're growing these in the northern range of their habitat, so like in Tennessee, where my parents live, or in Virginia, um, any of those areas, you'll probably want to go for a northern slope just because um, what damages the, the muscadine most is not cold weather, but it's actually the swing in temperature. So when you have a southern slope, you have the sun hitting that directly and bringing the sap up in the vines, and then it freezes, and you have a lot more damage than if you're on a northern slope. Now that's mainly if you're in Tennessee or somewhere in the northern part of their growing zone. If you're in Louisiana or Alabama, Georgia, um, Florida, you probably don't have to worry about that so much. Okay, choosing your muscadine varieties. Uh, this is something that uh, a resource you'll want to know about. Um, I've got some muscadines here, some good varieties, but if you're gonna order them online, um, and look at all the, the large array of varieties there are. There's IsonsNursery.com. Um, actually, it's not IsonsNursery.com. It's just Isons.com. Um, but Isons Nursery has a gardener's guide and a muscadine characteristic chart on their website. It looks about like this. And that chart will rate each variety, at least each variety that they sell, based on quite a few things. It'll tell you how big the berries are, the sugar content, disease resistance, cold hardiness, vigor, a lot of different things. Um, now, there are certain things that I would pay special attention to if I was getting muscadines started, and that would be um, second on the, on the list there, you see the size of the grape. Um, obviously, this probably isn't your first concern, but it's something you'll want to know. Um, some, of the some of the grapes produce berries up to, it says one and a half inches across. I'll tell you, the berries are big. I think that one and a half inches is probably the biggest they get. That's not representative of all the berries, but they are big. They're impressive, even though they probably aren't all that big. Um, but this gi that gives you an idea of size. You have sugar content. Um, these are all interesting things. Cold hardiness, if you're in Tennessee, or, or a northern part of the northern um, growing areas, you'll want to look at the cold hardiness. Um, I do have one of the varieties I'm selling is one of the most cold hardy. So I have one of those at my booth. Um, something, okay, several, several down the list there, you see something that says berry, stems, uh, berry stem dry scar percentage. That is talking about when you pick the grape, since they aren't really a bunch grape, often they're picked singly. So you're picking them almost like you'd pick plums. Um, and when it's talking about the dry scar percentage, that's referring to how, how much the grape tears when it pulls off the plant. So if a grape, if a muscadine variety has a dry stem scar, that means that when you pull it off the plant, it's generally not going to tear. And so you're not going to have a wet spot and that grape will store a lot longer and you can sell it fresh because it'll just last longer in storage. If they have a wet stem scar, they're still excellent grapes, but you're, you'll just need to use them faster or process them.
So that, and then the flower sex. You have the berry, stem, dry scar percentage. Next over, you have the flower sex. And that is something that's not hard to figure out, but you'll just need to be aware of it, that there are, um, there are self-fertile muscadine vines, which means that the flowers have male and female parts, both male and female parts, and then there are female muscadine vines. Um, from what I understand, in many cases, the female ones produce bigger fruit sometimes, but the self-fertile ones are the only ones that will fruit alone. So if you're only going to get one vine, you have to get a self-fertile one, because then you'll have male and female flower parts in the same plant. If you're going to get more than one vine, you have the option of adding a female vine, because the male parts of your self-fertile vine will pollinate that female vine. So it's not complicated, just something to be aware of. Okay, so I mentioned cold hardiness, pollination, stem scar, color. I didn't go into color too much. Most of the muscadines, as you saw in the pictures, are pretty much divided into black, dark-colored ones, and, and bronze or green muscadines. Um, in my opinion, they taste pretty similar, um, but the color is quite different. It's kind of nice to have both. And on this, on this chart, you'll see that some are considered red. I don't have a lot of experience with the red muscadines, but what I would say is that I think it's a little bit of a stretch to call them red. Um, they're, they're probably more like green with a, an orange blush. Most of them are going to be either dark or either dark purple or bronze colored. Okay, acquiring vines. Um, <clears throat> you can purchase muscadines from Isons, the same place that has the muscadine characteristic chart. And um, they have, they're one of the, the standards there. I should say they're a leader in the industry. So they're they've got good vines, they've got a good variety. And that's probably where I would order them from if you're, if you're going to order them. Um, I do have, I have 50-some vines here for sale. Um, I'm selling them for $15 a piece, and then I have a significant price cut if, if you get 10 or more, um, down to $10 a piece. So if you're interested in getting those here, I can sell those here. For those of you on Audioverse, um, or, or if you guys want to purchase them later, I would recommend Ison's Nursery. The ones I have actually came from Ison's Nursery. You can propagate your own but muscadines are harder to propagate than regular grapes. Regular grapes, you can take a winter uh, dormant cutting and just stick it in the ground and they'll usually root. That doesn't work with muscadines. What you have to do, the way they're propagated commercially is under mist. So they take summer cuttings from the vines. Um, they take summer cuttings with leaves on them, put them in the, in the propagation medium, and then they have them under intermittent mist. So the mist comes on every 10 minutes or so, and, and they root them that way from summer cuttings. Or if you want to um, do your own, you can take a pot and pot with a hole in the bottom and fill the pot with soil. Or actually, first what you'd want to do is run a vine. Run a vine through the hole in the bottom, up out the top of the pot, and then fill the pot with soil. And it will self-root into the soil, and, and sooner or later you can cut it off the mother plant. It's a little bit cumbersome, but you can do that. A lot of those muscadines that you saw on the list 
um, are patented. It says they're patented. Um, they were patented in, I think it was the 1980s, somewhere back in there. So if you actually look up the patent, patent file dates, you'll find that most of them are off patent, so they're perfectly legal to propagate now. If you're going to propagate them, you probably should look at the specific variety because there may be some that are still on patent, um, but the ones that I've looked into were not still on patent. Okay, uh, the standard way of trellising muscadines um, is illustrated here, and this is from the Isons Nursery website. They've got a diagram, and pretty much you're looking at a T. You're going to run. You're going to run your vine straight up, and the trellis is really simple. It's not a fancy trellis. It's basically um, a row of posts with a single wire run along the top, and it makes them really easy, really easy to maintain, easy to mow under. Um, and then you basically train your vine to a T, so it comes straight up, hits the wire, and then branches out in both directions. So you have an arm going left and an arm going right makes your vine like a big T, and the vines are spaced 15 to 20 feet apart, so those arms will extend to 7.5 feet on each side if they're spaced at 15 feet or, or 10 feet on each side, depending on what spacing you use. So those arms will extend out, and every year those main arms will send up a bunch of shoots, just kind of like a, a forest of shoots. And during the winter time, what you're going to do is it's called spur pruning. And I'm going to demonstrate so you kind of have an idea, uh, an idea of how it works here. I've got a, actually a wild muscadine here. Um, so I'm going to do a demonstration. But basically, you take each of those water spouts that grows out and you cut it back to one or two buds. So your vine will look like a big bush when you start. And at the end, it's just going to look like a, a little line of nubs. Um, it, it's pretty drastic. You cut off probably um, probably 75% of the, the volume of your vine every year, but it grows back really fast. So this is the basic, the basic structure, um, and this information is available on Eisen's website. You can get the structure from them. Okay, and one thing I... Thought I had in here. Okay, I'm going to go back. One thing I thought I had in here was a little bit about fertilizer, and it looks like I don't have it in here. Um, like I said, muscadines aren't picky. They aren't picky about fertilizer. They're very responsive to whatever you do. So the ones that I showed you in the picture were um, were mostly fertilized conventionally, but um, they're not picky, and whatever you're able to do. If you're able to take a soil test, um, make sure your pH is in the right range and address the nutrients that are especially deficient. Um, that'll be really good. But if you're not able to do that, or um, you're only able to get what your co-op has as far as fertilizer, then I think it'd be better to, to go ahead and do that than to not be growing them and uh, just be eating what, what you would have from the grocery store. Okay, so I want to take some questions, but first... First, I want to um, do a little demonstration here, and I was wondering if I could get someone's help just to hold this vine while I do some pruning. Okay, yeah, if you could help me.
Okay, this is this is not the ideal shape for a muscadine vine. This one um, is kind of got some wire. Okay. It wasn't for his last year. No, no. This is this is kind of what you might find if you if you didn't do anything to your vine for a few years. So we don't have a good structure in place, but okay. But here, maybe if you could hold it up here, the rest can kind of hang. It'll work. But um, it'll give you an idea of the principles. Okay. So we've got we've got a couple a couple trunks coming up here. So what I'm going to do first is just take out. And I wish AudioVerse could see this, but um, fortunately they can't. Okay. And yours would be on a trellis, so you wouldn't be doing this, hopefully. Sure, that would work well. Thank you. Okay, so what I'm going to do first is I'm going to just take out some of these um, vines that are coming up from the bottom. So we only have one trunk. Now, um, okay, now there are two... Some people will trellis a muscadine vine with four arms. Some will do it with two arms. I recommend two arms. That's the way that um, Ison's Nursery recommends you do it. But um, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll go ahead and start here with leaving four arms, and then we can cut the others off at the end um, if we decide to. So, um, okay, there's a lot of vine here. Um, so I'm going to take, okay, so I've got a long one shooting off here, and we've got this, this uh, junky stuff competing. I'm going to go ahead and take this out. Take that out. Um, we've got, on this side, we've got a long, a long one here. Uh, maybe what I'll do is take, take this out. And, and I'll take this one out. They grow so fast that you don't really need to be afraid of, of uh, cutting too much off. Um, we'll take this out. And we'll take, um, we'll take, um, I'm actually going to take, yeah, I'm seeing this one right here to go that way. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and take that out. Okay. So. Okay. So, um, the vines you saw in, in the pictures were trained pretty much like this. Um, they had, they had four arms. So you can see I've got one going out there, one going out here, and two going out at the top. Now, I'm, that's not what I would recommend. That's not what Isens recommends. So I'm just going to go ahead and take these side arms off because I'm trying to get a T, like I talked about. You probably don't want it that high either, do you? Yeah. This, this is a little bit high. Maybe your wire would be running right in here. Um, so just to make this uh, demonstration better, I'll take a little off the bottom. 
You can't do that in the, if you're really pruning your muscadine. Okay, but this will so bring it lower. Okay, so now we've got a basic T structure. Um, that's good. And we took off a lot of material, but we don't need to be worried about that because, uh, because these are very vigorous. I would want to be doing this about, about February or March. You want to do it during the dormant season, but the important thing is, um, if you're, especially if you're in a cold climate, pruning makes it a little bit less cold hardy. So if you wait till the worst of your winter weather is past, and you go ahead and prune it after that time, you, you'll have a little more cold hardiness when you have the worst of your, of your winter weather. You can prune it any time during the winter. Probably it doesn't matter so much in Florida and some of those areas. But where we are, I like to wait till the worst of the winter is past and then go ahead and do this. Now, um, once you've got your tea structure like this, every year you're going to have these long, long vines. And with a vigorous vine, they're going to be a lot longer than this. You'll have them coming way out here. Um, but pretty much, you take each one and you cut it back to just a few buds. So... Um, some of this is old wood, so it's not um, a little hard for me to demonstrate with. I'm going to just do it for the visual. Um, so normally I would want to be cutting on the new wood, but I'm going to cut it here just, just for the visual. Okay. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting each of these back to a couple buds. Um, yeah, some of this, like this is old wood. Um, and so you don't really want to cut the old wood, you want to cut the new wood, so I cut the old wood back there, but um, I'm trying to make it simple visually. So you're not cutting them all the way off, you're just leaving a little nub. And um, this is old wood. Um, ideally this would all be new wood and you'd, cut, you'd leave two buds right here, but since the new wood starts up here. This is this is not the new wood right here? Um, the new wood starts right here in this case. Okay. But if you'd been pruning every year, then this whole, this whole shoot would probably be new wood. Um, so if this whole shoot were new wood, you'd just leave a couple buds down here and you'd cut it right here. So I'll, I'll pass this around. Um, it's basically last year in... In 2019, this branch grew, and then in 2020, it sprouted here, and this grew. So the fruit is going to grow on the most recent um, season's growth. So if I cut it here, this is old wood. Um, if I cut it here, from what I understand, that's not going to produce fruit very well. But if I come out here and cut the new wood, um, then the shoots that grow from that will produce fruit. I don't want to get you too confused on this, but I will pass this around. Basically, the new wood starts where the Y starts, so I can pass that around. Okay, so I'm just going to keep pruning on here. This is this seems pretty aggressive. It seems pretty aggressive, but it will be good in the long run. Okay, so that's probably, if I was doing a T, that's probably what I would do with that vine. Next year, this little shoot will keep growing, and it'll turn into a, your arm, 
And since these are spaced 15 or 20 feet apart, eventually that arm will get like this long and it'll get pretty thick over the years. But um, that's, the, that's the basic structure. Now, um, I want to take some questions and I also have, some of you may have already signed up for my email list, but I'm going to go ahead and pass this around just in case you haven't. I have two bottles of 100% muscadine juice, um, one from the bronze green muscadines and one from purple muscadines. Um, I picked that up from the same place I got my vines, and I'm going to be giving those out, doing a drawing um, at the end of the conference. So if you want to sign up for my email list and for that, feel free to do so. I'll just pass this around. Okay, questions? Right here. I have three questions. Okay, three questions. What variety do you recommend for southern, southeast Oklahoma? Southeast Oklahoma. She said, what variety would you recommend for southeast Oklahoma? Um, from what I understand, it's going to be, it's not too cold there, so you should be able to grow most varieties. I would just look at what your purposes are and um, choose based on that. Um, if you're looking for an excellent fresh, fresh eating one that you can store well, it has a dry stem scar. There's one called Supreme. It's a large purple. It's, it's the big purple one you saw in the pictures. A lot of those were, were Supreme. But there are many. Just look at the characteristics you want. What time of the year do you plant them? What time of the year do you plant them? Um, I would say any time during the dormant season, you could plant them. If you're in a cold area, you'll probably have an edge by waiting till later in the season, in the winter, when the when the worst of the winter is past. If you're in a, if you're in a northern growing zone, if you're not in a northern growing zone, any time during the winter. Yeah. Did you have one more? How big of a hole do you need? Like, would you do the LNGY method? Like, three feet? Okay. Um, she was asking how big of a hole. Um, um, I'm sure if you did the LN, LNG white method, I'm sure it would do well. Um, and what I would probably do if I was weighing out, you know, effort and, and the benefit you would get, I would probably do a modified version. I'd probably do like a two foot by two foot hole and then do a, a mini version of the Ellen White method in a smaller hole. Um, if you can't do that big of a hole, they're pretty aggressive and they'll pro they, they can do very well even in a smaller hole, but that would probably be ideal if you can do that. Yeah? So two questions. Once you have, sorry, you want to go ahead? Once you have it planted, how often do you water them? Okay, how often do you water them? Um, okay. This is something I should have included. There's, Eisen's Nursery has a system that you can put in that's very clean and um, they have all the supplies you need to get an irrigation system that runs down the, down the length of your trellis. And it's using, it's using I believe, a tube drip emitter system. Okay. And um, it's very clean, very simple. Um, I personally haven't installed one yet, but I've seen what they have, and I would just go with what, with what they recommend. So follow-up question. Did you bring the actual berries to sample or just the juice to sell? Um, I have the juice. I'm not selling it. The juice um, is, is a drawing I'm doing at the end. Okay. So I'm going to give away a couple bottles for free to a couple people for my drawing. I'm selling the vines, the muscadine vines. Okay, so there's no actual fruit to taste. It's just the vines. No, it's just the vines, yeah. How do you enter the drawing? Um, I'm just going to do a drawing from the people who sign up on my email list. Yeah. Can you prune 
doing great before. It seems like it wants to grow up and then grow ways that I don't want it to and put a lot of oomph into that rather than growing up where I want it and then go out. So can you prune some of that the first year to keep it where you want it? Yeah, what I would do is um, as soon as you're able to get your trellis in, that would be good. And then you can just put a stake into the ground next to your vine that will grow that will go up to the trellis and train your vine up that stake and then when it gets to the top to the top wire you'll have to train it out um, and do that. You will have to do some training to get it up to the wire initially. Yeah. Okay, she was asking how long it takes to fruit. They will probably fruit um, their second or third year. They probably would fruit. I wouldn't really count on on a good crop, and you might not even want a good crop until the, the vine's a little more established. So if you wait till um, the third or fourth year, I'd say in the fourth year, you would begin to expect a nice little harvest. Um, before then, you might get a few, but you'd want to be careful that it didn't stress the vine. Yeah? Were you in uh, Camp Calacqua two years ago? Yep, he was asking whether I was at Camp Calacqua. Okay, so so you he said he, he bought a vine, it produced big fruit, but it's not trellised well. He's wondering if he can still trellis it. Yeah, yeah I think very easily. Um, just put a trellis in place now, mm -hmm. and um, even if you just have a big tangle on the ground, just take, whoops, oh well, um, just take... Just take one of your vines, just even one skinny vine like this, and run it up to the trellis um, like you want it, and cut everything off, everything else off, and all that all that energy will go from the roots, and it'll it'll do well. Yeah. We had a lot of wild muscadine around, but this year didn't produce. Would that not cross-pollinate with my with us? Okay, he was he was saying they have wild muscadines around. Mm -hmm. um, you said the wild ones didn't produce. No, no, this year didn't produce, but last year we were a lot. Okay, the wild muscadines. Mm -hmm. But they won't cross pollinate. Yes, the wild ones will cross pollinate with your with your uh, with your cultivated ones, but it won't be a problem. Okay. In fact, if you if you have a female, if you have a wild wild vines in the area, you might not even need to get a self fertile one because you can just plant a, a female one, and the native ones will pollinate it. But you just don't want to depend on that if your native ones aren't there or they aren't there aren't enough of them or whatever. Yeah. Uh, can okay, she was asking if muscadines can grow in Missouri. Um, on the map, I think Missouri is green because there was like one county that they found a, a wild muscadine in, or maybe a small population. But for the most part, um, I think you're going to want to look at look at other fruits. It'll probably be a bit of a struggle just to get them through the winter. Yeah, right here. I see most are listed for zone seven mm -hmm. and warmer. Um, but they, if you look at the cold hardiness, mm -hmm. they range from excellent to good to whatever. They still are listed as zone seven. Yeah, so he's saying they're all listed as zone seven, but they have a varying range of cold hardiness when you look at the cold hardiness rating. Um, yeah. Most muscadines are pretty much, from what I understand, they're all developed from, from a largely the same stock. Um, I don't know if that's 100% true, but they're largely all, um, they largely all have the same cold hardiness in general. 
it's not like uh, it's not like peaches where you have some that are a lot more cold hardy than others. With muscadines, they're all kind of similar. There are some that'll give you an edge, and one of the ones I have is one of the most is one of the most cold hardy. Um, at least it's listed as excellent, but um, it's not going to be it's not going to be a huge difference. So we're so okay. I think that. Um, you can talk to the silers. I know they have friends in Oklahoma who have muscadines. Um, if you're in zone 7A and your soil is not... Silers are 7B, I think. You're in 7B? The silers are. Oh, okay. You're in 7A. We're, um, I've seen them growing fine in 7A and maybe even on the verge of 6B. Um, as long as your soil is not alkaline, I think it would be a, a good trial and you'd be quite likely to succeed. Yep, okay. Okay, he was asking how would they do in California in that climate? In California, a lot of grapes, a lot of conventional grapes that you buy in the grocery store will do well. So you you don't have a lot of the reasons that we grow them is because of the humidity and the re, and it's because the others won't do well. In California, a lot of um, a lot of other grapes, traditional grapes, will do well, and um, so you don't quite have the the incentive for these just because you have so many other options. In the southeast, you don't have all the other options. Um, Okay. They might do well. I don't know. I know they're native to the, I know they're native to the southeast, and they do really well with heat and humidity. And I have read that in parts of California you can grow them. I just think that since since so many other grapes are grown there, sometimes they get they get lost because everyone's focused on the other ones. Yeah. Okay, over here. Would you recommend them for shade, like for a patio, for shade cover and for um, you could do them for shade cover. He was asking whether I'd recommend them as a patio for shade cover. I think that um, I think that if you did that, you'd find that it would probably be you'd have to kind of decide whether you wanted fruit production or or shade because um, like every winter, every winter they're pruned back aggressively, so they just kind of look like bare sticks. Um, yeah, I, they would probably produce fruit. I'm sure they would, but it probably wouldn't be quite like you would get if you were, you know, doing them for production. Mm -hmm. Well, yes? Besides eating them fresh and maybe freezing them for juice, what all do you do with them? Okay, she was asking, um, besides eating them fresh and, freeze, and, and making juice out of them, what do you do with them? Um, yes, excellent fresh eating. They can be made into juice. Um, Jellies, they can be made into jellies. We have canned them before, and we've canned them with the seeds and without the seeds. Um, taking the seeds out and, and canned them that way, and we've canned them whole. Um, so that's, I would say those were, those are the main things. I would think of them as a concord. I would think of them as uh, the concord that can be grown in the south without sprays. Pretty much whatever you do with a concord, um, you could process mus muscadines the same way. Okay. Yeah, back corner. Is it the same as the, like, the cast and the freezing period? Does the grape have that too as well? 
Yes, he was asking whether they have a freeze period. They do. They have chill hours. They require certain chill hours. And um, I know they grow well down into Florida. I don't know if they would grow. I don't think they would grow in a tropical environment. But unless you're way down in Florida, I think that almost anywhere in the southeast is going to meet their chill requirements. And they have a high, from what I understand, they have a high heat requirement to bud out. So what that means is they escape late frosts much better than a lot of stuff because they don't bud out until they've gotten a lot of heat. They're, they're not like peaches that bud out as soon as things get warm. It takes a little while, and so they don't get frozen out nearly as easily as peaches. Yeah? I, I've heard of some people growing grapes in tropical regions where they had to basically pick all of the leaves off to induce the dormant season. Uh -huh. But it must have been a low chill hour grape. I don't know what kind it was. Maybe it was a muscadine. Okay. He's saying he's heard of people picking off leaves in tropical areas to induce dormancy. Well, or to trick it into thinking it had some kind Yeah. Of That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Question in the back. Okay. Using the vines to make circular baskets. Okay. Good questions. Maybe, um, maybe I will say a prayer and we can formally end. I'm happy to answer any more questions. And like I said... If any of you are interested in, in getting a large vineyard going, um, if you want more than 10 vines, I'll sell them for $10 a piece. Um, it'll be a little higher at, if you want fewer. But I've got quite a few over here, um, and those are available. Heavenly Father, thank you for, um, thank you for fruit that um, are naturally resistant to a lot of the stuff that we battle, um, specifically in the southeast, but I know similar... There are similar stories in many parts of the country and the world. Um, so thank you for those fruits. I pray that you will um, bless everyone here and that um, we'll keep learning um, and growing and um, preparing for whatever you have in mind. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.